Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to an intro-less episode of Burgundy Radio, because I am no longer convinced the guts all over the place clip works for this team. I'm Steph. That's Earl. Say hello. Hello. That's Jackie. Hi. That's Rudo. Hello. Whoosh. We come to you a few minutes after the Avs board the New Jersey Devils to a 3-0 victory, and before any evening games are played. That includes both Minnesota and Dallas, who have the Islanders and Canucks respectively, but the team to beat in the chase right now is Arizona, who have 78 points and will have a game in hand on the Wild after tonight, even if the Wild do beat New York and despite the Wild's row advantage. It's a four-point gap to Colorado's 74, so that's why today's show is a little on the ugly side. Ten games is probably not enough to make up four points on one team and at least two, maybe more, on another. And Dallas's five-point lead, probably not touchable. But let's take a brief moment talk about what could have been this week as the Avs fall on Monday 3-0 to the Carolina Hurricanes. This was a game they played well enough to win, but Peter Mrazek was just something else out there. Then on Friday, a tired and bad Anaheim Ducks club comes into the Pepsi Center and the Avalanche collapse embarrassingly in the second period. Game was still tied at three late, but Miko Rantanen takes a completely unnecessary penalty. The fearsome PK duo of Gabe Bork and Patrick Nemeth can't take away a passing lane. And of all people, it's Corey Perry to put it home. That was his second of the night and his fifth of the season. He nearly doubled his goal total in that one game. And, and you thought you were watching a playoff team. Simeon Varlamov saved 32 of 36, which is an 889 save percentage, which is right in line with his sub-900 march. More on that later. And like I mentioned at the top, Avs win on Sunday against a just pathetic effort from the New Jersey Devils. 3-0 your final. Philip Grubauer stopped all 22 shots he faced, only 10 of which came outside the second period. Tyson Berry picks up a couple of goals. McKinnon hits the empty net. This was a week where you absolutely had to have four points or more, and you threw away two of them to Anaheim again. Yeah, that was... That, for me, was the real disappointment of the week, just because the Canes game he kind of saw coming. Um, you know, we beat them down pretty hard in their barn earlier this year, and, you know, they, they've sort of diverged from where the Avs have been going lately quite a bit. So, they, you know, they played well. They deserve the win, even though, you know, I, I don't think I don't think Grubauer played all that bad in that game at all. It just, you know, they couldn't score. Um. The Anaheim game really got me down just because a lot of the problems that we've been seeing over the past few months that have kind of sank the season cropped up with a lot of bad defensive breakdowns. You had Barry and Cole kind of getting confused on their coverage on the first goal. Um, You had some bad forward back checking on the second goal and... um, you know, Barry leaving EJ alone to cover a two V one down low for some reason on the third goal. And then the, the Z fully admitted that, you know, he should have had the power, the, the PK goal covered and, and it wasn't, but you know, it, it just, those are four bad defensive coverage situations that the Avs just haven't been able to get rid of all season. And whether it's you know the coaches not being able to coach it out of them or whether the players are too dumb or whatever the problem is they haven't been able to fix it and you know it's just i i think when we really look back on the season that things like this are really going to 
be the main factor in, in why everything went wrong. Yeah, I mean, if you I forget who said it on the Burgundy Rainbow Discord initially, but if you wanted to pack the whole Av season into one game, it would be this Ducks game. Yeah. I think it was me. It 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 was like the perf perfect storytelling of the whole Av season in one game. They dominated the first period, which is just like the first third of their season. The second period of that game was just a horrific collapse. It was just it looked just like they looked when they couldn't win a game for two months. Then the third period was a comeback. And then another mistake, and it was too little too late. And that's the perfect summation of their entire season. Yeah. You know, it's just... <clears throat> everything, in a nutshell, went wrong. And you're right, it's just it's the, the perfect metaphor for the season. Yeah, it, it showcases both how skilled this team is and that's why it's so frustrating to watch them at the first sign of anything not going their way just completely fall apart and it was like that like the first period it felt like those games where they have it when you you see it and they score first and they get another goal and you're like okay this one's in the bag and and the second period was just so terrible it it's it's amazing that the same team could play those two ways in in the same game in the span of just five minutes or so. And I know we've seen it a lot, but it was just such a stark contrast. Just to see it in a game like that just totally reinforces how Jekyll and Hyde this team is. Yeah. I mean, what made it even worse is the first five minutes of the second period were the best part of the game for the Evs. They yeah, outshot the Ducks like eight it. to nothing in the first five minutes of the second, and then the defensive zone face off, and they lose Perry, and they're down two one, and then it all just comes apart at the seams. Yeah, and it's just, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, Mosier and Pete were just back slapping each other. Everyone was just having a great <laughs> old time, and it's just that you know that first little error by Cole and Barry, you're just like, oh wow, no, and then. You know, I think it was like a minute later that the second goal goes in, and you're just like, <laughs> "Well, here before, we are again." Before the goal even went in, like it was a rush by the abs, and Miko hit the post, and you were just like, "Oh God, no!" Yeah, they couldn't get the third goal. I mean, that's you know that they, they they harped on that a lot. You know, the fact that they couldn't get that third goal to seal it, and it's just like, you know, you're right. You should have been able to get that third goal, but you shouldn't need a third goal to seal it. Like. If you're up two nothing at this time of the year, that should pretty much be curtains for you know against the freaking ducks, especially. <laughs> yeah. Like. But I mean, yeah, but I mean, it, against most teams, just because I mean, you should be able to lock down a two goal lead, you know, halfway through the game. And it just got progressively worse too. Like, like the 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 weird face off goal is like a, kind of a shit happened, and then the second one was trading rush chances. You'd hope for better coverage, but. You know, when you're selling out to score on one end, it always happens that way. But that third goal for me was just total, like, what the hell are any of these guys doing here? Yeah. And it's like what Bender yep. was talking about. There's no checking. There's no coverage. There's I bet EJ was on a beach <laughs> for that whole play. Like, he was somewhere else in that arena. I don't know. Such a casual shift. It was, like, so hard to look at. 
Well, the terrible thing was Barry was with him behind the net, and they both come out with two guys, and then EJ lets the two guys behind him, and Barry, I don't know where Barry went. He went off screen. I couldn't even see him. He's leaving EJ down, you know, down low, trying to cover two guys, and it's just like, <laughs> I mean, and it was like EJ said, well, that would... "I can't do that," and didn't even try. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like he thought EJ had the puck or something. It's it's right. Really <laughs> just a, and it's like obviously that was the bad goal that Varley let in because it really wasn't, you know, like he probably should have been able to cover that, but you know, it's like he did, you know, they, you, you depend on your teammates to help you out there, and they just got no help. They didn't get any help in, from, you know, help clearing the puck or playing defense, and they also didn't get a save. Like, nobody helped each other on that play. The reason yeah. I like this framing so much is it's not just, like, the general, you know, they did great, and then they did terrible, and then they did not quite good enough. Like, it's even down to the details. Like, when things fell <laughs> apart, they fell apart because suddenly goals started going in the wrong way, and you saw here-we-go-again syndrome creeping in. Yeah. It's, it's because they ended up giving up you know, the the 3-3 tie going, you know, towards overtime with a completely unnecessary mistake. Which, yeah, and then it was the, the penalty and not being able to kill yeah. it. And, and and that too. There's a lot of layers to that, to that Miko penalty. <laughs> it, exactly. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. This game was like a perfect work of art. It, it, I know. Really you're was. right. It, like, even down to <laughs> before the Migo penalty, the Ebs had a power play in the third period when it was tied 3-3. They could have just as easily put the game away themselves. But the Avs' power right. play is putrid. It is. And it's, you know, I we, we discuss this so often on the site that, you know, they're they're eighth in the league in efficiency and they're, they're, they're eighth in the league over the entire year as far as goals per minute. Um, or goals per hour, let's say. And you know, it's like it, it, the results are, yeah. All right. You can, you like those results that that's, you know, that that's kind of all you can ask from a power play is to be, you know, top 10, pretty good. Um, it, but you know, there's some underlying things about it that just make it really not that helpful when you really need a goal. And first of all, the eighth in the league is buoyed by, how great they were in the first two months of the season. They, their right. power play was 32% before December 1st. Right. They'd oh. scored 28 goals before December 1st. Since December 1st, they've scored 30 power play goals. And even then, the first unit looked really bad. And the second yeah. unit was playing yeah, in a different was. way and getting rewarded with some shooting percentage for Kerfoot and Wilson. Right. It was. If you look at the power play goal distribution from back then to now, you do see a lot of Kerfoot scoring Wilson. You see a lot of those secondary guys. Carl. And and then now, um, who would you guess leads Dabs in power play goals since December 1st? Probably uh, Miko. Either Miko Barry, maybe. No, no, you're right. I bet it's Barry. No, I no, think the he defense only, only has... has two goals all year. Yeah, he uh, Miko has eleven, and nobody else has more than five. Jeez, yeah. Okay, that was harder than I thought. I mean, <laughs> it like the problem was always the same though with the first unit at least. Like even when it was working, we we're like, "Well, this looks stupid," but I guess as long as it's working, right? And, <laughs> and, and then I'm it sure stopped working. 
Yeah. Right, but then it stopped working, and they haven't done anything to change it. And yeah. they did for like one week, and everyone was like, "Wow, this looks so good." And then they went back to this, and it sucks. Yeah, and it's since since December first, it's like middle of mid pack of the league. Since February first, it's into the the bottom third of the league. So it's progressively getting worse. In a well, time, actually, when... it got really bad from December to mid February. And since then, it's been a little bit better. I mean, not obviously anywhere near as good as it was at the beginning of the year, but, you know, back when the team really wasn't winning at all, it was very, very bad. It was, you know, it was probably bottom, you know, we're, we're talking mid 20s. And really the biggest like problem. Without a goal. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the biggest problem is that if you watch the game, you see how it kills momentum. They've, they've had a horrible power play in some important games, like the Dallas game comes to mind, where they had a chance to get back in it. They had a late, late power play, and it, it was just such a momentum killer. And then they give up a goal right after it. And it's like those things aren't accounted in the statistics, but things like that matter. And it does lead yeah, I mean, to that, losses. And that's something we've seen for years with the Avs. is sort of an, an ineffective power play sort of really zaps emotion out of their game at 5v5. Because you look at and, that 8th place in the NHL ranking, and, and you really do start to wonder what the hell we're bitching about. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I'm just going to ask you guys straight up. When you picture specifically the, the, the McKinnon unit power play, what, what do you picture? Five standing around, standing around yeah. not yeah. moving at all. <laughs> uh, giving up at least one rush from the point every power play. Five if perimeter you're... passes, and if you're lucky, it's McKinnon taking the shot instead of Barry. You know what's funny? I was looking at this today, but on the power play, the Avs are top five in Corsi against and um, goals against on the power play. I absolutely play. Like, believe it. They they really do give up like one high danger chance every no, power no, no. play. They, they, they give up the fewest in the league. <laughs> right. I believe that really? too because they only give up yeah. one, but it's just a really high danger <laughs> one. <laughs> right. They play the power play like it's overtime and all that matters is hanging on to the puck. Like they, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Like when I picture the power play, I have a very specific picture in my head here. So first they lose the face off. Because the Avalanche are off yeah, for a face-off. Always. And then it takes 20, maybe 30 seconds to get back into the zone because you've got to skate yep. out and loop around and get ready to make your drop pass. And then make now that's sandwich, not going to work yep. because there's a four-checker in my face. Hold on, loop. Uh, can I? No, okay, drop pass, go. Now the Avs into the zone and you wait for the defenders to set up. I mean, you have to be fair. So yep. <laughs> you already have a one-man advantage. You don't want to be. You don't want to be too rude. And then they work it kind of low towards the half boards, and that, that's not fair either. So they kick it back to the point where there are three Avalanche players. And they do that five, maybe six times. Then go, well, shit, we need to shoot before the fans start yelling shoot. Give it to Barry, who hits a shin pad and it's out of the zone. Yeah. And then on yeah. the, the rare occasion they win the faceoff, then the penalty killers aggressively go high because they know that Barry's just going to pass to either McKinnon or Ranton, and then they pick off the pass and get it out of the zone. And so and that leaves us with 30 seconds left in the power play. The second yes. unit comes on, <laughs> looks pretty sorry, and then that's the end. Yeah, and one thing that I'll add to that is um, you need to have a couple situations where you pass the puck into a dangerous area and then someone passes it right back out to the point. 
Yeah, like sure. work it low to high. It gives the, you space. Guys <laughs> at the half boards, if if the puck like bounces out to them or something, they almost look surprised that they have the puck in space halfway to the net and then they pass it back to the point. It it just yeah, makes I, no I, sense. No, but I mean, even the guy that's in the middle of the, the diamond sometimes passes it back to the point. And if you're just like, no, no, the, the net's right there, sport. I, I, it's see, not 1980. Let's go. I don't hate the pass back to the point sometimes. They do it too much. But in theory, if you work that puck into the middle, get the D to collapse, and Barry pinches in from the point and you pass it back to him, you have a much better shot that you're going to get from him. The problem is, Barry never leaves the blue line. Like, they pass it back and there's 30 feet of open space that Barry just isn't using. Yeah. Which is funny because he's so good. And I know that I've mentioned this before on this podcast is he's so good at moving into space at five E five that on, on the power play, I don't know why he stays so high. I guess he's it's, trying it's the systems. I really yeah. think it's the system. Well, Sam, <laughs> Sam he is the last guy back. A lot. Someone's got to be responsible. Yeah. But Sam moves down into space a lot better. I don't and he why. Does it a lot more. It, your power play is already giving up breakaways, so you might as well try and score if you're going to give one up. I don't know. <laughs> the Avalanche power play does feel like it's designed to not give up shorthanded goals. Um, but I, I, I am definitely on team that it's probably systemic because the Avalanche have one member of their power play who often will pass it either low or into the middle. That's Derek Broussard. He's the going, new guy. They'll beat it out of him. He's the new guy who hasn't had enough, you know, practice time to really learn how the power play works, and is going mostly off of instincts out there. He has. I've seen him pass to JT Comfer in the middle multiple times, and every time Comfer is like, "Oh, I, I guess I'll try to shoot," <laughs> but he's just so surprised. <laughs> I, I don't. This? Why am well, I I'm, here? I'm trying to think of the last time the Avs power play did something surprising to the defense, and I can't think of one i, I feel well, like early the se- in the second unit used to actually penetrate them the diamond and, and make some decent slot uh, chances for themselves but... they did they worked behind the net and went low to middle yeah. well they would attack yeah. on the entry too that too yeah they wouldn't wait to get set up they they would attack more i feel like the second unit actually had a decent one decent power play against the Ducks because they're they're at least passing quickly, and that was the most dangerous it looked. But yeah. it certainly wasn't like beginning of the but, year. But you look stuff. at the setups that other teams do. They get into their box, and none of them move more than ten feet for most of their P- their PK because none of the abs are moving. So they all just stand there and are like, okay, we'll just wait for your point shot from Barry, and then we'll be done. And and, and you know it's the Moving to our end on the PK, it's, you know, what do teams do to us that is so, you know, that that makes us a bottom five PK team? And it's all about motion and, you know, not standing still, not being static. How many times have we seen the Avs get scored on by a guy sneaking on the back door and the Avs never, ever do that? Right, and then you know, it's, a lot of it is is you load up one side, you have four guys on one side, and then one guy on the weak side sneaking in, and that works really well. And you know, it's just, if you move back and forth, if you cause the defenders to move, you have so many more options, and it just they refuse to do that. It's uh, the Nick Holden goal is what the Avs are missing on their power play. Um, yeah. but, but I would hasten to add 
that the avalanche penalty kill has its own problems without looking for what the other team's already exploiting. They're just not aggressive enough. They've had way too many opportunities for the goaltending to let them down. Um, They're, but mostly they're not aggressive enough. Yeah, there's there's no pressure on their PK, and I think well, a lot of that is falls back to the personnel they're using on it. But yep, which is funny because also, last I mean, year they collapse a lot too, and they also I've I've noticed a lot of times they'll have two D below the goal line uh, on the on the PK when the when the puck goes down there, and that's usually a big no no. Usually, just. The funny thing is, is that when it was successful last year, it was more of an aggressive penalty kill. It was. They they should know from experience that that works better than what they're doing now, and and they should also know from having it done to them. Like again, we look at that Montreal game where Colorado couldn't even get out of the neutral zone because the Habs were just, you know, right on top of their sandwich. So there was just no way that you could get through that because there was so much pressure in your face. I don't know why the Avalanche penalty kill refuses to to put in any pressure. They just won't do it. They did for like a it's, couple of weeks, and it looked awesome. And it's yeah, it's weird. It, it seems like they really want to have five goalies out there, and then you know just sort of go with that. And it just seems like every time when they really get into that collapsorama five goalie situation, you know that's when the really bad stuff happens. I do wonder how much the two months of goalie terribleness like affected that mentality. Oh, a lot. Because all of the defensemen out there are thinking, my goalie's not going to make a save, so I guess I have to. I think there's a lot to that, because the Avalanche do block a humongous amount of shots on the penalty kill. They are um, fairly, like, kind of middle of the road in terms of their like unblocked shots against per hour on the penalty kill, but they give up a lot of just straight up all shots, which indicates they're blocking a high percentage of what's coming at them, which also indicates that they're trying to block shots instead of prevent them or get the buck. Right. Their shot suppression is not great. And I just say, where they are blocking the shots like a lot of times i will see guys that are within 10 feet of the net trying to block shots and i'm just not a big fan of that at <laughs> all i think if stick. you're yeah it's like i you know I, i've said this many times but if, if you are you know closer to the goal than halfway between the shooter and the goalie then don't block it so just to return to the power play for a moment before we move on because we got vlad in the chat today um how much is losing Landeskog making the power play even more obvious? A lot. I don't know. I mean... uh, to expand on it, uh, Landeskog is one of maybe two or three guys that the Avs have that really go to the front of the net and create quality screens. And without that, Barry's just never going to score from the point on the power play. He basically didn't anyway, but... Without it, there's you can basically write it off. If the goalie sees a shot coming from the point, he's gonna save it. I mean, I mean the first I unit will... just is Miko scoring. So, <laughs> the, I would say, I mean, they miss him in general. I'm not gonna say they don't miss him, but the power play specifically. I mean, he's not really scoring power play goals that much anyway. So he was when the Avs were scoring power play goals. Like his tip-ins yeah. were like carrying the weight a lot of the time. And obviously now Miko has taken over, but without Landeskog in front, the number of Avs goals has dropped and it's going to continue to drop, I think. 
Well, that's the thing. I, I think when he was tipping a lot of goals in, they really fell in love with that play and really geared towards the point shot. And I, I just, I, I think that was a fork in the road they took that was, you know, that was pretty much wrong thinking. I mean, I, I you know, obviously Landy is very good at tipping shots and that's a great strategy. Not every time, though. No, I, I, I agree with more you. Five on five. I, I agree with you that they over-invested into that strategy, but yeah. now that they don't have Landy and they're still invested in that strategy is far, far worse. Yeah. So, that was a lot of time spent on just specialty teams, again, but yeah, specialty teams are infuriating. But, uh, there's still, I mean, we're, we're kind of counting the abs out, there, there's still, you know, a chance... There's always a chance until you hit your tragic number, but um, we're pretty much counting the abs out of the playoffs. So with that in mind, my question is, what should the rest of this season look like? Uh, Graves should never be benched again, and <laughs> the abs should use their two call-ups remaining as soon as possible. Who on? On That's the question. Personally, I would like to see Kaut get his nine games. And then the other one, I would be happy with any of Greer, Malash, or Francis. Hold off on Francis. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, that one's kind of an edge case for a number of reasons. But looking at the forwards, and I, I don't think Malash really has a real chance of getting called up, so we can just kind of throw that one away. So looking at the well, forwards, you could throw Toninato in there too if you want. Um, I just don't see any reason not to call them up at all. For one, your team, even if they're not out of the playoffs yet, your fourth line, you're not even willing to play 12 forwards, as we saw in the most recent game against New Jersey. So you can't make your fourth line worse. (laughs) (laughs) Using the... <laughs> and you have a, someone that is better than no one. <laughs> yeah. And you have a great opportunity to give experience to someone like Kaut or get to see more of someone like Greer or Toninato and see if they can continue to progress in the way that you want them to at the NHL level. And one of the biggest excuses that I've been hearing lately about this is well, we should leave them with the Eagles to make the playoff run. And that doesn't make any sense at all to me, because for one, the whole point of an AHL team is to develop NHL players. I'm sorry if you root for the Eagles and want them to make the playoffs. I do too, but the fact is that they're supposed to be developing NHLers for the Avs. And if you have a player in the AHL that is so good that he's the difference between you making the playoffs and missing, guess what? He's good enough to be an NHLer. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the Eagles have enough of a cushion right now that... Uh, there's really no way they're going to lose enough games to not make the playoffs. So, right. And know. if they make the playoffs, great. You can send the guys back for the actual playoff games then. Yeah. I mean, their season's going to be a week long. I mean, two games longer than the AV season anyway. So, well, you know, and here's the other thing. Get their tune up, even if they stay till the end of the AV season. And as we're recording now, the Eagles are playing. So after this game, they have four games in the next three weeks before the Avs' last game of the season. So they're going to be sitting around during the week for the next three weeks. Wow. So if you... if So the Avs will have nine games in that span. You can get 
you can work in AHL players without them even missing any AHL time, or even maybe at most, let's say, one or two games. So the whole, like, leave them in the AHL and do their thing there doesn't even really apply in this case because most of the games the Avs have available, they will be sitting on their ass. Is that normal? Yeah. Um, just, like, the reduced schedule they're under this year means they played their last midweek games this past week. So they're only playing the the, the weekends for the rest of the, the AHL season. So it's like they're all practice Monday to Friday, play on the weekends. And then even one of the weekend is Saturday, Sunday, the, the second one. So yeah. it's it really is like four games for the rest of the season. So, I mean, I'm in total agreement. I think this is the time when you need to be thinking about what's going to benefit you in the future, which does not mean completely punt the rest of the season, give up. It's just crazy that playing your future is mutually exclusive with winning, which I think is crazy. I mean, we've seen when you add youth, you you sometimes and most of the time get a benefit. So, I mean, even if it was mutually exclusive to winning, they should do it, in my opinion. So, <laughs> and if yeah. you look at Greer, the fun I know we've talked a lot about Greer, but the funny thing is, he since he was in the Avs lineup for their four game win streak. He hasn't lost a game. He has not lost a game he's played in in a month. Yeah. And he's he's been scoring. His, he has seven points in his last five games. He's the best player on the Eagles right now by far. Why are the Avs not using him? It's not just that. It's like Guru and Toninato together have such great chemistry right now. Um, both at 5v5 and they're they pretty much slotted into the top PK role there. And they've generated a lot of chances um, on the, off of the rush on PK. So, you know, you wouldn't be losing having Gabriel Bork kill penalties for you if you put Toninato and Greer in. And even if you do, I mean, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Um, you know, it, it, it seems like it would be logical to bring those guys back because... You know, they can do the job that you've sort of slotted your fourth line into. And honestly, Sven Andragetto has been playing really well lately. You put those two guys with Andragetto, and, he, you know, being a small, fast guy, I think he's a great complement to those two. I mean, you know, that's a great fourth line. It sure is. But, it's but, just a shame that we've been asking for this since before the deadline, and then the deadline happens, and they use a call up on. Dries and Agazino, and now we're stuck with two call-ups left and can't make it happen. And they scratch yeah. Agazino to play 11 forwards. and Yeah, I mean, it's just... Gone. It's a total admission of how badly they plan this out, and I'm glad they at least admitted it, but it still looks awful. And this is the time of the year plenty of teams are giving looks to first and second year pros. It's not asking for something that's unrealistic yeah i mean witness new jersey today i mean that was like most of i, I forget where their team is binghamton or something like that but it, you know that was their half of their AHL yeah. team today they had 10 scratches tonight or something like yeah that's a lot of scratches um i want to turn our focus to martin count because there's 
always been an argument for leaving him in the AHL all season, and there's also always been an argument that he's going to get nine games. So where do you feel? Yeah, I would like him to get nine games. I don't think he will. And I understand that a part of that is because of his conditioning. Because of what he had to deal with in the offseason, he's just never been fully conditioned this year. That's the way it is. And that's fine. I just would be disappointed if you didn't at least give the kid a taste of the NHL and kind of say, look, here's the game at the next level. This is what we want you to be at the start of next year. Yeah, that's how I... Go ahead. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I don't think he'd actually look very good in the NHL right now just because of his conditioning and, you know, he's, he's sort of hit a wall. Um, but you know, it's, I, I think after this week, um, you, you have, you have the opportunity to use one of your remaining call-ups on him and have him stay up until the, the end of the season. And, you know, that, that's, that, that could work out fine. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, none even, of us want him to burn his ELC, but there's 10 games left. Like that's not going to happen. Right, if he plays like you know four or five games or something like that, and or you know maybe even two or three. I mean, I I, I think you know it's like, I I I forget where Graves ended up today, but you know as your <clears throat> extra guy today, I mean he didn't play a whole lot, and you know if if you've got four or five minutes to give to a guy like Cout, <clears throat> you know why not do it? You know he may he may you know maybe his conditioning is better than we think, and it, it's just. You know, easier to play at the NHL level with a sort of a more structured shift regime. Yeah, y'all keep speculating that Martin Kalt may be better in the NHL than the AHL. I remember a point, it was in like December or January, you mentioned noticing that he kind of had the light turn on, that if he's going to score, he's going to have to do it himself. Yeah, and it, it is frustrating. I mean, his center right now is Nantel. It, it's just... I. I don't know exactly what offense you expect from him in that kind of situation. And he won the game in overtime the other day on an individual play that he made and a great shot. And that that's kind of what his role is in the AHL. Like he loves these give and go plays and there's nobody that really can run them with him in the AHL. And, and he's he's really good on the boards. I don't think he would get swallowed up in the NHL. I don't know how much offense he would create, but I don't think he would just get buried if they played him a couple games. And I also feel like it is important for him to get a little bit of that NHL experience under his belt. Like that's what teams like Detroit are doing. They're playing all their young guys. Like they they called up Zadina. They gave him the nine games. They even said it was because it was important for him to see what it was like taken into the summer and build off of that. And it, it would just be such a mistake just to just let the opportunity go, go by. I, I think it's interesting that, you know, he is playing on a line with Julian Nantel and Scott Kosmachuk right now, and they're quote unquote, the third line. <clears throat> um, I wouldn't exactly say they're a shutdown line, but they're definitely a more defensive line than, you know, sort of a, a top six scoring line. And he's also been getting PK shifts for the first time all year. So, um, you know, maybe that's a harbinger that the Avs are at least considering bringing him up. And, and you know, they want to see if he's going to be defensively responsible enough that they can trust him to play. Um, 
you know, they maybe it's just something that they want to see for the Eagles for the rest of the year. But, you know, if they were going to call them up, they're they're looking at the kind of things that they probably want to know if if they were going to. I hope that they would have a plan like that. I just I don't really have faith that they do. I think I it's either. that the Eagles in general have defaulted to more of a defensive mindset and it's it's working. So you know, I guess that too. That's uh, <laughs> they've they're playing right now. No spoilers, please. But they have won nine in a row. So that's a lot. Even though it they is. basically, you know, it's it's probably a rant for another day. But let's just say they've kind of put development on the back burner and gone to more of a defensive lineup. And hey, you know, it it is working, and them getting in the playoffs would be a positive for sure. It's just, um, you know, yeah. I, I don't feel like it's part of any sort of actual development plan. It's just kind of what they decided what they had to do to win down there. I am sure we will go in depth deeply on that on the next uh, 2A <laughs> that we should be having at the end of the month-ish. So if you like that stuff, keep an eye out. Very cool. So say the Martin Cout does get his two to nine games, and maybe he doesn't take every shift, but who would you slot him in next to in the lineup? I mean, perfect world, oh. like Soderberg and yeah. Brassard, maybe. No, I, I mean, I'd put him on Carl's line right now instead of Willie. Willie's been garbage. I agree. I mean, I, I just don't even think of that not, because not I know time. they would they would just throw him on the fourth line and he'd get like five minutes, but yeah, probably I agree putting him with, um, you know, even maybe like Jostin Soderbergh's something like that. I mean, they're not going to make a new line for a guy like that. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, I know, but they should, that's <clears throat> what they I, should do. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can see why they want to keep their lines the way they are just because they like things like that. But you know, if, if the, if you were going to keep the lines as they are right now, um, you know, doing something like, you know, he, he'd be in the lineup card that they put on Twitter every night on the fourth line, but just give him a shift here or there in Willie's spot. And, I, you know, I, I think that's where he could kind of, <clears throat> you know, I think that's the role he'd be most comfortable with. I think he'd play well with Carl and Comfer or Carl and Miko, depending on how they're, they're racking it up at that point. Um. You know, I, I I don't think playing him on the fourth line would do anything for him at all. Um, that's just and that's you know, where they would gonna... play him. <laughs> right. And... The question is, will they play him at center? <laughs> yeah, they should. <laughs> they play everybody he else. Looks at like center, a center. Why not? <laughs> so just just to wrap this one up by jumping ahead a little bit, um, the Avalanche have two road games this week, after which they should definitely know if their season is over for sure or not. And then they're back at home on Saturday. So if they were going to make this these sorts of call-ups Saturday, probably the time to do it. Yeah. I think it would be after right. this weekend. I, I, I think they're, they have one of their, um, one of their last four home games is uh, our home sets. The Eagles against is against Manitoba this weekend. <clears throat> and it's, it's going to be a big deal. I'm, I'm targeting realistically probably the last the not the last game but the three games before that the first three in April yeah. I think 
and they could anyone from the AHL could play in those games. Then they would have a day off. They could play for the Eagles again on the sixth. They wouldn't miss any AHL contest. I don't think that they'll be able to do that because of the limited call-ups. I'm just saying anybody. If if they're not using those games, like if they want to believe that they're still in it and blah blah blah, like they're not gonna do it this week. But if by April first they haven't decided to use that time when the Eagles are not playing to call well, someone up and give them NHL minutes, I think it's a big problem. I mean, so here's the thing, right? If the Avs lose any of the games next week, I think they're pretty much out of it. And then they should definitely do that. But I could totally see the Avs beating Minnesota and beating Dallas, and then they think they're still in it, and then we get to the (laughs) Arizona game, and we have to put our quote-unquote best lineup out there. So I could totally see the Avs convincing themselves and doing the stupid thing again here. And that's unfortunate. I I think Jackie's on to something. I think if they're going to do, if they're going to use those last two call-ups, it's probably the last week of the Avs season. They've got four games that week. Um, you know, you, you <clears throat> I, I think at that point, the Eagles should be you, you at least know where they're going to be, you know, know whether it's important if they need someone for the, the uh, fourth and third to last games that would be that weekend. And even if not, there's two weekday games for the abs that, that they could at least get into. Well, we can send a magazine whenever they need somebody. So, well, there you go. <laughs> it, it, it is that it is worth noting that the Avs are running with a very thin roster right now. If they don't get anyone back, which we're not expecting to get like Nieto or Landskog back, they're only operating with one extra player right now. So they have no extra forwards, and Graves is the only extra defenseman. So there could be a very real possibility that they actually need to call somebody up. Yeah, but then they could use an emergency. Right. I oh, wonder right. if that was part they, of the plan, <laughs> to be honest. I, I do think maybe that's why they sent Drys down, because they're like, hey, if we need an extra forward, then it's an emergency, yeah. which would if be they, good If they can find a way thinking. to use emergency call-ups like every other team seems to know how to do, <laughs> then we could probably get you know all these guys up for a game or two somehow. But, but Right, but then the same thing applies. Like The next time they need a forward, use Cout, for God's sakes. Use Cout, for God's sakes. So, Rudo said a really tantalizing name at the beginning of this segment, which was Francis. Yeah, I mean, it's a really hard situation. I would love to see what he is at the NHL level, but you have two goalies on your lineup, and obviously we talked about Varley hasn't been great lately, but he's not doing total garbage dumpster like they were back in... December and January, so it's it's really tough. Like I I'm sitting here wondering what the plan was with Francis if they weren't willing to give him a start yet. So maybe they're trying to figure out a way to get him a start now to figure out what he is, or I don't know. They the guy should know is is good there, <laughs> especially in that last week, like I mentioned, where you could easily work him in. Yeah. Especially if you haven't used your call-ups at that point. Especially if you're not still riding the delusion wave. You mm-hmm. pretty much have to call up 
Fransuz and play him, right? I mean, would it wouldn't it be negligent not to? I don't know. I I I again, I think that they think they're going to find out what kind of guy Pavel Fransuz is during the AHL playoffs. I mean, that's great, but it's still an NHL. <laughs> Like, I know, but you know how they are about playoffs and tournaments other than, you know, just regular old game. Yeah, that probably is how they're thinking. I, I guess just what was the plan, right? Was the was the plan always to be like, man, we think Fransuz can be a backup in our future? So if yes... So never start him in a game. Yeah, like, what are, why haven't we taken a real look at him if the answer is yes to that? If the answer is no to that, then why did we sign him in the first place? I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I, do still- I mean, I, but the thing is, it's like if he plays two games between now and the end of the season, I mean, what are you really going to learn about that, too? I mean, it's just, you know, to, to get a real feel for how the guy's going to play in the NHL, I mean, you kind of want like five, ten games. So Sure, I mean, but something is better than nothing. You could at least find out if you can put together 60 consecutive NHL minutes. Right. I mean, I guess if you start him, he can do 30. Bad, then we what? know that. <laughs> then did they then do you scrap the whole plan? I mean, I do see what you're saying. You start him and he's bad, and then you're like, okay, we'll forget that. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, that's that would be my worry. Is it you know? It's like he comes up in a team that doesn't give a fuck and plays badly, <laughs> and you know, then they're like, well, now what? You know, it's almost at, better they don't know. At least you would like <laughs> make a decision that way. Like you may end up being the wrong one, but you have like something to go with instead of like Francis. He's a human being that plays goaltender. <laughs> he has skates. He's a goalie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly think that they think you know what, whatever their plans are. I think they've decided them already, and that you know the way that he plays in the AHL playoffs is going to, you know, hopefully reinforce what they think of him. I also worry about, and it's nice the group hours finally strung together some decent play here, even though two of them are against Buffalo and New Jersey, but yes, he played, he stopped the puck and he played well, that it just gives them confidence in the validation that this plan's going to work, that, they're yeah. going to roll with Grubauer and Fransuz, and everything's going to be fine. I will say, I'm always the guy who like calls him out on his eye test. He's looked much better to the eye test as well. Definitely. And... No, I agree with that. I, I remember in the first Nashville game, I think it was you that said, he looks like he can find the puck again. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I, I do think a lot of that is sort of the defensive coverage. <clears throat> um which is still not that great, but it's not that great in a totally different way that allows him to see the puck now. Except on the PK. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess the question is, do you just pretty much have to start him now for the rest of the season? Like, Why wouldn't you? I I mean, this season is essentially done oh and you have to given the way varley's played there's no reason to like start him if you think that's the way back into the playoffs so you're looking at a win-win of grooby's playing well so that's our only hope even if it is a fake hope and playing him as much as possible getting him even more comfortable in our net is the best plan for next year as well Right. I mean, you can sort of see the the gears turning in their heads up there. It's just sort of like, well, you know, at the, at the beginning of the season, the plan was for Grubauer to gradually wrestle the starting job away from Farley by the end of the season and for Francis to kick ass in the AHL. And lo and behold, that's exactly what's happened. So it's, you know, 
they've, they've just in the worst their... way possible. Dumbest possible way they did it. The process was god awful, but you know, it's they're they're validated in their thinking if that's what the plan was from from the beginning. I mean, it, it kind of looks like that. And I do want to emphasize there, there's there's plenty of uh, arguments that people can and have made for keeping Varlamov, but it's mid March. If you're going to resign a guy, you would do it by now. That's how I feel. I that's exactly how I feel. I've been in the Var- keep Varley camp. I. I trust him a lot more than this plan that they've come up with. But I also agree that usually the Avs, if they're signing even somewhat of a big contract for a guy that's a pending UFA, it's it's happened by now. It, right. It's just not... Like, you look at Varley down the stretch here. If he had played better, I think it might still be a thing. But like Steph said, he's sub-900 this month. So you can't look well, at that and go, boy, is this our future? <laughs> And I don't and even again, know that Varley would be their panic plan. Like, I'd be concerned the panic plan is either, like, using more assets to get somebody or signing somebody really regrettable that we don't want to see signed. Right. I, I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the plan C and plan D's behind maybe keeping Varley would be sort of, you know, what, what, what the goalie giant was saying last night, like maybe, you know, Leighton or something awful like that. Um, and it just, you know, you, you can't do that. If the Philadelphia Flyers rejected you from your from their net, usually <laughs> probably ought to stay away. Right, and then and I mean, this was mainly sort of what they're going to do for a third goalie next year. Whether you know whether they keep Farley and Gruby, or whether it's Gruby and Frank, or you know Gruby and someone else. <clears throat> you know, what are they going to do for their third goalie? And they're kind of in a spot like Frank put him in a great situation this year because he wasn't waiver eligible, even though he's very experienced and coming from a pro league and whatnot. It's just, you know, it's like you don't find that situation you know, more than once every 10 years, really. I mean, they so, could bring in another guy from Europe. I'm just saying. throw another second at somebody. That's It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, it third goalie that will either pass through waivers or doesn't have to pass through waivers that's just very difficult to find so it's just that's you know that that's sort of following along with what the goalie plan is next year that's That's going to be something they need to think about i've just never worried about a third goalie like if you're down to your third goalie starting no team is going to do well that season it's just the way it is well i mean just look at this year i mean if frank had to start i think we would have been fine yeah yeah as fine. Sure, eh? if a friend who falls into your lap, great. But I'm not going to look at our third goalie and think we absolutely have to have this spot covered. I think they've been lucky that they, have, they haven't really had to use that third goalie in a couple years. I think it's the opposite. I think they're unlucky that they didn't have to use it because this was the one year that they really had that option. And it's like, I think like next year, like say they, you know, say they keep Marty and they sign Werner. Um, and and either Marty and then hopefully like Werner gets good enough that he you know you might be able to use him as the third goalie later on the season. <clears throat> um, you know it's like you're not as confident in that in either of those guys. I, you know, taking I don't think you have game. to be like. If, let's say Werner gets there later in the season. Great. If you have to use your third goalie in the early parts of the season, you're screwed anyway. I mean, yeah. next year is supposed to be a year that they're supposed to be better. That everyone. Has, I thought that was this year. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the, yeah, that is every. 
the expectations here, but you can't just say like if one of these guys gets hurt, like actual hurt where they can't play for a month and you you're going to have to play the third guy. You can't just say oh well for the season like you can go out and trade fairly cheap stuff for a reasonable for a reasonable backup goalie <laughs> at any time at any time if you need a Calvin Pickard to play backup as your third goalie you can give a sixth out for him and it's not a big deal I, yeah. I would rather them not have to uh, neither would I so just it. you know healthy goalies two healthy goalies that's how <laughs> you might I, win in this league but I'm not so worried about someone getting taken on waivers like if if someone takes your third goalie on waivers then just I guess then you take someone else's third goalie but I do yeah, but think they're the gonna thing need is your somebody. third goalie needs to be in the minors <laughs> you, can't, you can't claim someone on waivers and put them in the minors you know, and that's, I, I think it's important. I think what the abs are thinking with a third goalie is, you know, they always want to have a, a good goalie in Loveland. <clears throat> I mean, that's why I would be fine with keeping Marty because, you know, I, I think he's been fine. Um, we, he would almost definitely pass through waivers. I mean, he's got like a 99.9% chance of passing. Oh through waivers yeah, sure. I wouldn't fall. worry about that. Right. And it just, I, you know, I think he would be good enough to be able to play in, in Loveland. I think if you had to use him in the NH, in an NHL game, it's, you know, you take your chances and just try to play harder in de- on defense that night. It's regrettable, but you, you deal with it. Right. Yeah. And Marty's fine. Sure. I just think they're, they'd be so worried about NHL experience, vet experience. Well, Marty's got plenty com- of NHL experience. They're not set on the bench like most of last year. <laughs> That they're not comfortable with the number three that isn't at least like twenty five years old and with twenty NHL starts. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a continuing problem that they don't see any internal guys as vets. Like yeah. instead of looking at say Geertsen as a vet on defense, they're just gonna go out and sign the next Alt or Worsowski. Well, they'll probably need they'll need to bring in somebody just to fill in the spot on their depth chart. Um, that, that's just going to open up from guys moving up. So it's just going to be. I mean, be I'm pretty whether, sure whether that'll bring, be Werner, but it's going to be what level they bring him in at, and maybe it will be Werner. Who knows? Um, but kind of the the overall point of, of this part of the conversation had just been that we're expecting to see a lot more Grubauer as the season goes on, and it's not just because of recent results. Like that's part of it. But yeah, it's also because th- this is gonna be your guy moving forward. So let's go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's in and your be best interest to do that. Yeah, that's a good point. So if we're all pretty much in agreement that the season is basically over, there's still ten <laughs> games to watch. So what are we watching for? Oh. I'd I'd love to watch for what we just talked about, but <laughs> we'll see if that uh, happens. Yeah, that'd be the top of my list, but it would be great to see McKinnon and unlikely but possibly Ranton and hit a hundred points. I think that would be a pretty cool thing to have happen. Nate's very close to forty goals. Yeah, that would yeah. be cool too. And so I mean there are some milestones that we could kinda hit. I'd love to see Barry keep getting points so we can trade him for a million things. <laughs> <laughs> Trade value. But then I'd worry that they they would need to keep him. I guess Makar, I would like to see him in some capacity. Maybe not the NHL, but with the AHL looking playoff likely, that would at least be nice. 
McCars had it had another gr- fantastic weekend. So it's getting harder and harder to wait, but time is getting closer and closer though. So um, I would be disappointed if he, if we don't see him at all in the organization, if it's the AHL, that's cool too. My biggest thing is I, I don't think they're going to have a lot of success um, down the, the last 10 game stretch here, but you know, make it interesting for the fans, you know? If if you're not going to win, then play a good game. I mean, I in a way, I think that's worse. I mean, not that I want them just lose 10 in a row and leave that feeling that we had after the Anaheim game like, all through the summer. Like, that's terrible. But the whole, the roller coaster, the, the, the delusion wave, the way altitude gets going, I don't think that's constructive. <laughs> or a good thing. Like, yeah. yeah, I agree if it was just about them playing competent and and leaving you with a good, a good feeling that maybe there's hope and these guys can do good things. But if it comes with the price tag of like, gosh, if we only win the next three games and Minnesota loses the next three, we're going to be fine. I, I think that's excruciating, honestly. Yeah, I, I want them to like pick a direction. Right. If, Either if, we're winning out or we're losing out. It's right. Anything in between do, is just stupid. Yeah, I don't want to do this lose two or three in a row, but then win the big one at the end of the week, and you're just like, you know, how much longer are we going to do this? Yeah, shout out I to mean, Altitude, I think, though. We had an interesting episode this this afternoon with the, uh, you know, the adventures of Mark and Peter and the disappearing double miner. <laughs> so somehow I don't know themselves into thinking there had been a four minute call that there was not, <laughs> and we heard it announced clearly. Yeah, it's... no, I mean that all started because Pete said that the referee went over to the bench and said four minutes. So maybe that happened. Maybe it didn't. Maybe he saw. Maybe the referee was holding up two fingers and he actually saw four for various reasons. But. <laughs> um, <laughs> If if there was some way for them to like get mathematically eliminated, then bring some guys up, then end the season on like a, with a couple wins so that you're you're feeling great, that would be perfect. No thanks. Give me Caco, baby. If we're losing, well, we're losing. <laughs> that's the yeah, other I mean, thing I, is I, that I, is that playoff or the draft position is a real thing. Like there is a difference between like say ten and fourteen. It pretty much puts you between tiers. So. To say, like, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, I hope for a couple wins at the end of the season. Just to feel good, but then you com- you change the type of player that you're getting with that pick completely. It's it's just not worth it either. Like, if they started losing at this point, they could actually get inside the top ten, and they could walk away from this draft with two top ten picks, that would mean more for the future than any sort of good feeling that they would get in the last several games of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's pretty reasonable to expect the Avs to finish with, like, the ninth pick. Uh, before I don't know. I don't, th- I don't think they're going to... I just, I don't know. They're, there's... I mean, I think yeah. Chicago's going to pass them again and probably put them in the rear view. I think Edmonton will probably end up passing them. I just, I don't uh, think so. I, I think they're going to win enough games to pretty much sit in the middle. Do you think I'm, Ottawa I'm stays seven. 31? No, I nope. don't. I think the Kings are going to out-tank yep. them. 
I, th- I think it's possible. Are monumentally yeah. terrible. Like, oh my god. That's that's other, also another really stressful. I mean, thing. they called I mean, it Curtis McDermott. They're not <laughs> trying to win games. <laughs> I, it's fantastic having a, a pick to root for, and it's going to be a high pick regardless. But pretty much after, you know, penciling it in your mind, I'm penciling in top four. There's a lot of people penciling in one or two. Which is silly. Like, you have to is, be crazy this, to do that. <laughs> this is getting real that they're not going to finish last. And if it's just LA that passes them, it doesn't make a huge difference. Even though the percentage difference from winning the lottery, I think, goes from like 18 to 13%. So if you really, really, really want number one, you really, really, really need to finish last. But I'm not as concerned with number one. If If we get like a two or three pick or even four, but I don't like the thought of getting into six, maybe seven. That would be. I don't see how they get worse than five. Yeah, I don't either. I I I think LA is going to give them a run for their money, but I just you know I don't see anyone touching those two. Probably not. I mean, Detroit is has been at least somewhat more competitive, but they're not out of reach yet. And then we just saw New Jersey. I mean, they play hard, but there's just no talent on that team. New Jersey's too far ahead, though. Like, yeah. it just won't happen. Yeah, Detroit, it could, but I don't see it. I mean, but for every he... reason we gave in the beginning of the show why the Avs can't catch up to everybody in the playoffs are the same reason it's going to be difficult for anyone to you know, tank down. Tank to out, yeah. It's easy yeah. to tank, though. You just don't win. That's harder than you'd think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, teams have, you know, teams could just bring in a crappy you know, genre to the game every night. I mean, it's like you could run into Buffalo like the Avs did the other night. You know, the, the Avs could have tried to lose that game last week, and there's just no way Buffalo was having any of it. <laughs> so that's the thing. Ottawa plays Buffalo. And they have the motivation. <laughs> they do. I think they play Buffalo twice before the end of the season. Like, well, they, they, they have the motivation. I don't, think, I don't think Buffalo's like that every night, but it's just that night, you know, at the no, end of I a six-game road trip, they just had nothing. They just played right the toilet bowl are. against LA like two days ago. Yeah. I mean, if people haven't been looking at the standings, LA is now only two points ahead of Ottawa. The other thing is Ottawa has more ROWs than I think all of LA or even Detroit. Damn it. So they don't even have the tiebreaker to finish last. <laughs> and they have motivation from the organization not to, to finish last. Like these other teams don't care. They want to tank. I mean, Ottawa all right. So <laughs> I, I know it's, it's like our greatest fear here, but it's like if they really wanted to win games, they probably could have done this earlier in the year. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to they're gonna win eight out of the, net, the last ten, but. So here's the winning. thing. It's an odd year, which means the last place team won't win the lottery based on history. So we should actually root for the Kings to beat Ottawa. So we can win the lottery. There's too Wrap many dimensions up. to this chess game now. Let's do stars and <laughs> I'll take it's the gonna obvious, be a stressful three weeks. I'll take the obvious Philip Grubauer star off the table. We'll go ahead and yep, make sure that that's one an is easy one. Laid bare. Who else you got? I got Mac. Okay. I think he, you know, he, he was a little petulant today after the he, he and the ref got into it, but uh, <laughs> I, I still think he had a, a good week. Was anything oh. said in the post-game stuff about what happened there? No, they didn't interview Mac. They interviewed... I th- I, the only ones I saw were Barry and, and JB, so 
no, nothing was spoken of at that point. I turned it off and they were talking to Broussard, which I have absolutely yeah. no idea why they would have chosen him, but okay. He said yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least talk to Sven, right? I mean, he should be in a yeah. Why not First him? Time he's gotten a star all year. No interview. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, like like Barry's goal was like the 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 real goal, not the pinball goal. Um, you know, that was a lot of good work by Mac, and you know, Barry just reaped the rewards there. I mean, not that he didn't do it. You know, that was an amazing shot and everything. It was a great just, shot. You know, it's like Mac really bowled his way through the center there. Um. But, you know, he, he's had a, a decent week. Obviously, everyone got shut out versus Carolina, but he was good, you know, he was good versus the Ducks as well. I'm giving my star to Barry, and this is more of a season-wide yeah. star. I mean, they don't ask how you get to 50 points, just that you get there, and you do that two years in a row, and guess what? People are going to pay for you. So this is his lifetime yeah. achievement star? His <laughs> thank you for bringing us assets in the future star. I hope so. I hope nobody would look at his 5v5 production since December 1st, however, if they are paying us to take him. I mean, I think he's pretty well scouted throughout the league right now. Oh, I, mean, I, I don't think anything <clears throat> on, you know, a game or even half-season basis is really going to influence anyone's opinion on him. Do we have room for one more? I would say Miko, but... I think he's played well, but then you say the penalty he took and he didn't yeah. score today, but I, I do feel like he has played well. That Can I'll give an honorable mention. Against Anaheim was just something else. Like it's, it's really yeah. unfortunate yeah. that he erased it with that brain-dead penalty, but the, the goal he scored was fantastic. His wrists yeah. get a star. There you go. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, give an honorable it's... mention star to Sven just because... You know he he's been sort of worthless boy all season, but he's he's really stepped up his game over the past few weeks, and you know he's been on the penalty kill, and actually you know he's still pretty decent on it actually. Um, so <clears throat> a lot of people thinking that he might be out the door. Um, I'm not so sure because he's cheap, and if they think he can PK, I think that they you know they might like to have his skill set along with maybe a little bit of defensive ability in the bottom six next year. I think after Friedman outing the Avs for emailing everybody, it's yeah. probably a no. <laughs> but I will well, agree I mean, that it, he's he been responded more to that. useful. He has I'm sure been he read that too. Lately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. He has been more useful lately. I, you know, Maybe he is just looking for a contract, but sure, he does deserve credit for it. Scratches. Okay. Uh, EJ, uh -huh. <laughs> I think, is a definite scratch for me. We talked about the maximum casual shift he had against the Ducks. And he's just not been the player we need him to be this year, quite frankly, and especially not down the stretch. Fair? Yeah. I, he's, it's, it's tough for me. It just, I, <clears throat> I, I don't see the same dominant you know, number one defenseman that he's usually been, but you know, like, like we were talking about earlier this week, you know, he has played a lot of games this year. He hasn't played this many games in, in I think two or three years. And it's just uh, he, at his age, he's going through something that he hasn't been through in a while. And uh, you know, it really does look like he's sort of hitting a wall. 
I, I don't disagree with you. I think that's yeah. probably a lot of it, but the fact is the Avs just couldn't afford that. Yep. Um, I, I'm going to give a scratch to Willie um, just because, you know, he's just so ineffective. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to lay the, the record after he got back into the lineup on him. But it's just, you know, when you're in a position supporting basically your second line and you're just that ineffective, it, it really hurts the team's chances. And, you know, it's like it, it, that's on the coaching staff as well for keeping him there. No, he's just done nothing. Well, um, 10 of his 20 points came before December. <laughs> they sure yeah. did. If we're giving out scratches for doing nothing, I think we can also... I don't think want to give it a full scratch, but I'll put an honorable scratch in the direction of Alex Kerfoot because he keeps being in the right place. It's just that then nothing yeah. happens. Yeah, he's just... I mean, I mean, he's off the cliff at this point. <laughs> I... You know, I, I I respect that he's, you know, he's creating chances, and I think there's a little bit of shot suppression going along with, with sort of how he's playing in the offensive zone. But, you know, along with Wilson, he's just, you know, he's not able to create anything. And, you know, that's tough. I'd, I would just like to give my scratch to Ednar slash the organization. I just think the way that they handle the stretch run every year, it's just pathetic. Which we have been over and over and over. So <laughs> yes. We'll and we'll be over but, again. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely return to that in the in the postseason episode. But coming up next week, the Avs travel to Minnesota on Tuesday for an absolute must-win against the Wild if you're on, on the playoff <laughs> side. It's Sorry. a 6 o'clock mountain. <laughs> then on Thursday, they're in Dallas for a 6.30 mountain start against the Stars, which if they won Tuesday... Again, it is a must-win. They have a home-and-home back-to-back Saturday afternoon and Sunday evening against the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm not sure what day exactly the podcast will fall on yet. We'll see. Yeah, it might be a day early. It might be a day late. It might be a dollar short. We'll see. But just based on those first three games, how many points are you looking at next week? Zero. I mean, yeah, the only acceptable answers are zero or six. So... <laughs> Since Earl takes zero, I guess I'll take six. That's why they're going to get three points. <laughs> of course, <laughs> naturally. They'll probably get four. They'll probably either beat Dallas or Minnesota, and they'll take one of the Chicago games. I just think they're going to ride ride the middle all the way through. Now here's why they're going to get three points. They're going to go to Minnesota, and they're going to go to overtime just to screw the Stars doesn't matter what happens in overtime. You know the Avs are going to lose in overtime, but it doesn't matter what happens in overtime. They're going to make it a three-point game. Then they're going to go to Dallas, and they're going to make that a three-point game, too, just to screw the Wild. And then we know what happens in Chicago. So They lose both. They lose both, but they're going to get a point <laughs> out of one of them because they'll start Varley and he will fucking steal it. <laughs> I, I just I, I see this as a week of pain. Um, I, mean, think I think Minnesota nice is probably. <laughs> I, I think Minnesota is probably the best chance, just because they're, you know, they're sort of on a downslide like the Abs, um, and <clears throat> it's probably in our best interest to let them win so they don't pass us going the other way. So, <laughs> so Rudo's on Team Six. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm probably not really. 
<laughs> but but if you if you want me to actually start considering the playoffs as an option, you just have to have six. It doesn't matter who you play, why you play them. You have to get six out of six, and then hopefully Arizona drops a game or two, and maybe you're in the conversation. Who's Arizona even play this week? I'm curious now. So they don't play today. They have Tampa on Monday, so that's a losable game. <laughs> and then they're off Tuesday, I believe. And Wednesday they play Florida, so that's a tough one to lose. Right. That is like this is what we're talking about too. Arizona's schedule is not that hard down the stretch. No, so there's Tampa, but it's not so bad outside of that. As we we've been yeah. over the, all the schedules and stuff and showing how Colorado would have the, like easily the least bad schedule, but Arizona's not far behind. Right. It was Dallas and Minnie that had the really horrid schedules and Yeah, especially the Wild. But, but now then, they're irrelevant. But now, <laughs> but now you have to wonder about teams like Tampa that don't have a whole lot to play for. Might start the game. <laughs> <laughs> Might start kinda, you know, packing it in, turning it down a notch. Rusting guys. Yeah, exactly. Like like, yeah, yeah I think you Tampa certainly clinched. They, they can finish no lower than second in their division right now. It might be their conference. Yeah, if they win like, like three more games, they clinch the President's Trophy. Yeah. So. That's a pretty early President's Trophy clinch. What a team. It is. They are a team. <laughs> it's funny that no one in the Western Conference is uh, clinched yet. I don't. I right. think even LA hasn't been eliminated yet because yeah, that's how bad the West is. There was yeah, a no. convoluted way they could be eliminated last night, but I don't think it happened. I saw Michael <laughs> laying out a convoluted yeah. way they could make it in today. Yeah, that was great too. That was <laughs> hilarious. Seventeen plane crashes. <laughs> and... <laughs> It was like, first of all, this is the most unlikely part, but they have to win out and finish with 80 points. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, okay, I see where we're going here. <laughs> and it was like Colorado, Minnesota, Chicago, and Arizona all finished with 78 points somehow. <laughs> it was, you know, it was actually possible due to the schedule. Yep, he found a way. <laughs> if, if there's a mathematical yeah. way for a thing to happen, you know Mike is going to find it. Yeah. But whatever. Well, the Avs winning today probably screwed that. Uh, yeah, they could beat Jersey and one other. That 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 was the only two wins the Avs were allowed for that to happen. I don't know. I didn't read the whole thing because it was already three tweets long, and he was just getting started. So <laughs> I was like, I'm not even gonna. I'm just gonna go back to what I'm doing. <laughs> so, but whatever actually does happen, you know, you can find out here. Um, where next week we will be releasing on either Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. So very reliable, dependable show. Um, you can catch us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on iTunes or on your favorite RSS-based podcast catcher, if I can get the words out of my mouth. Post every episode on burgundyrainbow.com where you can find a link to the Discord and just kind of hang out and yell at us about whatever. Let us know what you want us to talk about on the next show um, or talk about pants during the game because it's so boring. Whatever happens, keep it up. Keep it dirty areas. We will see you next week. They're no easy starts anymore. Except for this one.
This yeah, this Buffalo, one was pretty yeah. fucking easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd say you got the two up. teams. That, yeah, I was about to say that. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah. no? I can, yeah. Okay. 